2: Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com.
1: I'm Alison Kane, and welcome to In the Sauce, a podcast about building consumer brands from the ground up. I love doing this show because I get to interview everyone from production gurus to marketing and social media mavens, anyone who can guide me on this crazy journey. This is the story of building Haven's Kitchen Sauces, but it's also the story of every growing brand because we're all in the sauce. Today, I'm speaking with Lisa Poe, founder of LGPR, a talent management and brand strategy marketing company. Lisa works with content creators, influencers, and brands to create meaningful partnerships and content. She's been in marketing and PR for over a decade, first in sports PR, and then on to the brand side in hospitality and CPG. Now as a talent manager, she's able to support the creators and the brands they work with by building relationships, establishing clear goals, which we'll talk about, and aligning people with brands that share their values. So I'm thrilled to have you welcome, Lisa. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Yes. Um, so when you told me that you started in sports PR, obviously my brain went to show me the money and like, (laughs) who's with me and Renee Zellweger and Jerry Maguire. Um, was your life at all like that? Just was it at all like that? That's so funny. What a (laughs) throwback. Um, my life was not like that. It was a little (laughs) bit different. (laughs) Um, you just crushed my 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 vision, but that's fine. It's but fine. I mean, you can still think of me as cool. I guess. I mean, <laughs> I you know, I I have mixed feelings about Tom Cruise. You know, I mean, it was a good. It was you had me at hello. That was good. It was a good movie. Um, but I'm kind of glad, I guess, that you're you weren't an agent. You were you just were on the on the marketing side of Correct. things, right?
3: Yeah, I did. I, I was in sports media. I did social media i i did stats for teams um mm. i worked directly with espn and college game day and things like that so i was kind of that like typical pr person sports media person versus sports agent which right. an agent would be closer to what i do now right funny enough but yeah. it was a little bit yeah i was a little bit more behind the scenes back then got
1: it and so i mean i feel like i can picture The movie version of your life leading to what you're doing now. But can you map it out a little bit more for me? Like where, because when you and I, you know, we had an event that we were at together recently and it was just so much fun talking to you. And, you know, we very rarely get to meet people who are you know, who, who are like the connector between sort of the content creators and the brands mm-hmm. who understand the needs of both and the goals of both and, you know, the challenges for both. Um, and I can also see how content creators of today are very much analogous to athletes of, you know, yesterday as well as today. But they do need representation and people who are creative or good at their craft aren't necessarily the ones who should be negotiating their own contracts or building their calendar, you know, schedules. Um, so tell me a little bit, if you don't mind, just what that route to your current job that I know you love so much um, was like.
3: Yeah, well, it was great chatting at, at our event. But those kind of moments are the highlight of, my job now and and kind of where I'm at now. But so I I started, I started my career in in collegiate athletics. Actually, this was pre NIL. So Mm -hmm. pre, pre when they could make money. Yeah. So I did, like I had mentioned earlier, a lot of behind the scenes media stuff. I ran the social media pages for the teams. I, you know, did conducted media interviews with outlets like ESPN. So fun. Honestly, so much fun. I thought I was going to be doing it for the rest of my life, but, you know, being a young woman in sports Mm
1: -hmm.
3: over 10 years ago now, yeah. yeah. Wow. Over 10 years ago now is a lot different. And, um, you know, I also saw that to get where I wanted to be in that world, it just wasn't the lifestyle that I was looking for. Right. So, I actually left my job um willingly which people thought I was crazy cuz they're like, "What? You have the best job ever." Mm-hmm. And I got a job um still in sports. I worked in professional golf and professional tennis, kind of running mm-hmm. media rooms and things like that. Mm-hmm. And then I worked for the hospitality group that ran a golf tournament. Mm-hmm. And then I landed at a CPG brand in the natural products industry for about 7 years and I did traditional PR media. Then once influencer marketing, Instagram started to pick up things like that, I really, really attached to that and was really excited about it early on. It kind of built out the whole program there. And when I built that out at the brand I was working for, I loved the influencers and creators that we were working with. And I saw an opportunity a couple of years ago and I didn't think I could do it. You know, I had the whole like, oh, I don't know mm. do this, but I saw the opportunity. I loved the people I had the opportunity to work with. And I took, I took the leap officially about a year and a half ago and I'm so grateful that I did. And now I'm on the talent management side and rep some of the creators
1: I used to work with when I was at the brand, so. it's so cool. And so what what encompasses talent management? Because I have a feeling it's broader than, you know, just saying, okay, you know, she'll post this for, you know, $10,000.
3: <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah. I think talent management and a talent agent, things like that, to be honest, I feel like there's somewhat of a negative connotation or stigma around what agents and talent managers do, you know, that we're just here to make the most money and make you post for a brand. And that's Mm. all that there is to it. But I, and a lot of my fellow colleagues in the space are believers that being a talent manager is, (laughs) first of all, it's always on. There's so many pieces of the puzzle, Yeah, building those relationships with the brands, building the relationship with your clients and also helping them build their brand 360. So not just the social media part, there's content strategy, there's website stuff there. What if they want to come out with a book? What if they want to rebrand and, uh, you know, create a little bit of a different niche that they want to be in? You know, it's, it's really from A to Z and we do a lot more than just negotiate deals. Although that is the bulk of how we earn our money, right? But we're there to make them the best version of themselves, but also the best brand right. and a brand that has longevity as well.
1: So I was listening to Pivot the other day, which is a podcast that I love. It's Scott Galloway, who's the marketing guy, and Kara Swisher, who's this tech reporter. And they were at this con marketing media conference. And you know, I don't understand a lot of what they're talking about, or, or but for some reason, I find it very interesting. But they were talking about Twitter And what an unsafe place it is for brands to advertise with because you never know what you're going to end up next to and things are crazy over there. And they were talking about just advertising in general that, you know, creators are now these small businesses in and of themselves. Like it feels like, I guess my point is the influencer slash content creator channel or you know, um, chunk of the budget is more established now. It's more reliable now. It's almost more trustworthy in some ways than, you know, traditional advertising. Um, and it's, it's really kind of developing into, you know, a, a a bigger channel. The issue is also that these are people And they are like small businesses of a human and it, it totally tracks to me. I mean, I don't have a negative connotation because it seems to me that, like I said at the beginning, if they're the creatives, they should not be necessarily running the business side of their small business. It's like any other company. You have your sort of vision and marketing and sales, and then you have the back office essentially. I mean, it, Am I thinking about it? Yeah, I think you could think of a talent manager
3: if, you're, if we're going down like in that direction as kind of like your director of operations. Almost. Right. Yeah. You know, kind of helping everything come together with a little mix of a, a director of marketing as well, but kind of making sure everything is running smoothly, working together. There's calendars involved, there's content involved, there's video shoots involved, there's photo shoots involved. And there's also just your creator being a human and living their life. So yeah, we're kind of in the background organizing all of these things and at the same time, making sure we support them in every way. So, but there was one thing you said about the trustworthy part of advertising that I, I caught onto when you were talking and mm-hmm. how Twitter and even TikTok, to be honest, there's, mm-hmm. there's a lot of risk around advertising in general, but I would say Twitter, TikTok still like meta has kind of put some guardrails up in the last four or five years that have done them well. And, and kind of the risk factor, but the trustworthy piece, I think a good creator, a good influencer has the trust with their audience and therefore they're going to trust what that person says first, what a brand says, which is what right. influencer marketing is. But I think the one thing that I look out for in creators that I want to work with and that the consumers will want to find is they want to feel like their friend. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like if, think about it this way, if you want if your friend's hair was, you had a friend who her hair just started to look so shiny and beautiful and you mm-hmm. saw her every day and you were like, Hey girl, what, what are you using? Like your hair right. looks so good. And she told you, you would go out and buy it.
1: Yeah. because you're like
3: She's my friend. I trust her and her hair looks bomb. Right. So, you know, think of it like on a, another scale, I guess you could say, but like that audience is their friend or that's what, what they should be. If they're, you know, a, a, a good person with good morals and values and good content as well. So right. the trust part is really big. And I think once you have that, you'll have a great relationship with, like the creator will have a great relationship with the brand because they are helping them earn that trust with the consumer.
1: And so that is the crux of what we really want to talk about today because, you know, out of the, you know, 2,500 downloads a week, I'm guessing that 2,400 of them (laughs) at least are, you know, people who are either building brands or, I mean, you know, founders of brands, operators of brands, right? And so on the brand side, you know, we have questions. A, you know, what should we be expecting from creators and influencers? and what is the difference between them? B, you know, how do we really get the, get the most out of that relationship? What does that mean? You know, how should we go into that relationship? You know, what are the goals? Because I think, you know, what we're all trying to do, and you know this, is we're all trying to prove this elusive thing called brand love. Mm -hmm. And, you know, again, UGC and content is one way that we can really... Prove it. You know, this is how many people comment, and this is how many people save our recipes, and this is how many people come from TikTok over to our website because they we can't prove that they're buying it because we're not direct to consumer, but we can prove that they have some intent to buy Mm -hmm. and that, you know, there's that there's that groundswell. So, knowing that, which you know, you do from the brand side, what are the sort of um goals that we can set with creators? What should we expect and what should we not expect?
3: I think well, I think the ultimate goal when it comes to working with a creator, and really quick, I'll touch on the different, I think you also asked creator versus influencer. Yeah. And my very short answer to that is all influencers are content creators, but not all content creators are influencers. And so, because all influencers are creating content in that way, but not all content creators are creating content to influence someone to buy something. So I think that's kind of an easy way to look at that, but goals for a brand when, when working with a creator and or influencer, however you want to reference these, these, um, talent, I think first and foremost, and we're going to, I'm going to say this word a lot, and I feel like it's buzz wordy a little bit right now, but look at it, look at the relationship first and, and you'll know, like, does this person that you, this creator, do they have content you really love and that your brand wants to be part of it? Do they have super, like, do they have mega sale selling power? Like, you know, like what, get to know them and build that relationship. And I think you can set your expectations and goals from there. And one thing that I think brands and creators don't know is how long that actually takes to really happen. And I think, you know, Ali, your team does this really well is, is knowing that it's for the long haul building a relationship, building a community and learning the strengths of each talent and kind of that's how you can set your expectations. If their, if their strength is amazing content that you want to be involved, involved in, and you want people to recreate those recipes, know that about them. If it's, if it's selling power, know that about them and, and, and really customize your deliverables and things like that around that. Mm, so I think it's common. learning their strengths first, right. getting to know them and also having the ultimate goal for a long-term relationship. Cause that's, what's going to move the needle for the brand.
1: I love that. All right. We're going to take a little break and then we're going to come back and we're going to get like super deep. We'll be
2: right back. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country.
1: I'm back with Lisa Poe, founder of LGPR, and we're talking about brands and influencers and content creators. Um, So basically, you know, I was going to ask you, how do you know what's going to be a good fit? But it's interesting because I think what you said right before the break was really cool. It's almost like the way, I mean, people have heard me talk, like the way that brands have almost like these personas grocery stores have a persona everything almost you can if you you can good brands and good you know I guess good brands have something that you can identify as their sweet spot or their superpower and Mm -hmm. I feel like what you were saying is that's different from creator to creator and influencer to influencer. And as a brand, the first thing you do when you want to work with any of these folks is establish what is that thing for them. Mm -hmm. Because if you align yourselves to, you know, clicks or reach, but they're not, that's not their thing. Their thing is like deep connectivity and people just really listening to them, for instance, you're going to be disappointed. They're going to be unhappy and it's not going to be a long-term relationship.
3: Yes. I think to put it really simply is know the creator, know the talent, know what their strengths are. And that, that takes time, which I said before the break. And I think that people, you know, I think everyone's guilty of it. We're all tapped out. We're all moving pretty quickly, but these relationships and the success that comes from quote unquote, influencer marketing takes a lot of time. Sometimes there's a viral moment that's, you know, like really pops off and, it happens really fast, but even those to sustain them in the long term, it's going to take time. So I think it's just knowing that creator, knowing that talent, and knowing and setting proper expectations from there.
1: So speaking of virality, um, I you know I mean you know us well over here. We're not going for virality necessarily. We're not going for even like follower count. We don't even measure those metrics at this point. Um partly because follower count seems to have slowed down a lot. Like we were fortunate. We hopped on TikTok when we did, and that's how we got, you know, into the forties pretty quickly, but it's hard to do now. Same with Pinterest. We were on there really early. Um, so I don't know. I mean, y'all tell me as the expert, but it seems like the follower count is not necessarily the goal. And then virality, you know, we've had a couple of viral things and, it didn't necessarily lead to more people putting together that they should go to the grocery store and buy our product. Mm -hmm. Um, So if those two aren't the metrics, you know, what should we shift our thinking to? Like, what should we be looking at both when we work with content creators and also when we make our own content internally?
3: Yeah. I think a question to ask for those brands that are looking for the viral moment, which I know your team does a great job of not really leaning into that is what is a viral moment, but they're, you know, (laughs) then what, you know, exactly. So that was, you know, asking the question, what is a viral moment? If you can not extend that awareness or that engagement and what are followers, if they don't engage or if they don't care, you know, what does that number mean? So, I think it really depends on the goals of the brand if we wanted to get in-depth on what to measure because we can get quantitative with it. So, you know, if reach and awareness and just getting the name out there is the goal, we're looking literally at impressions and views and things like that
1: in a quantitative place. And can but, we talk about that for a second? But before yeah. I have a feeling you're gonna go over to like more on the retention and like community mm-hmm. building as the next thing, but sticking with reach and awareness. So I mean, people who listen to me regularly, maybe it's just, you know, because of our, you know somewhat limited distribution. But even when I interviewed Ross from Daring and he mm-hmm. had Courtney and Travis and they did a whole thing on Daring, he's I think there are an 18,000 doors and he said the only regret he has is that he did it too soon. They didn't have enough distribution to really juice the lemon on that type of awareness. And I thought that was really interesting cuz 18,000 doors is a lot
0: mm-hmm. and
1: you know Again, it goes to like awareness of the brand. If consumers can't get it readily, easily at wherever they want it, that's not necessarily a good thing, you know, can lead to frustration. I mean, people have heard me say it. The number one comment we have, we have over 200,000 Pinterest followers. We get a lot of, this is annoying. I can't get this product. Mm -hmm. You know, that's not the kind of engagement that we want. Right. So, I mean, who when you hear a brand saying we want reach and we want awareness, do you ever try to steer them away from that or is there is there a proper place for it and maybe I'm just not
0: no, seeing it
1: entirely. That's a really great great question I think. To put simply,
3: brands aren't going to buy or consider the product if they don't know what it is. So you know, I would never steer them away from reach, but I will say before a brand invests in something or goes out on a limb to be with the Courtney and Travis, as you mentioned, or the new it girl on TikTok, Alex Earl, you know, before they have, they invest the time and resources into something like that. I think the foundation really needs to be there. And when we say foundation, we mean the product has to be good. First and foremost, the packaging mm-hmm. has to be, has to be appealing to the eye, I'm a big person on packaging. I could go in depth on that, but you know, it has to be something people want. Um, and also you said it accessibility mm-hmm. where are you, are you guys accessible online? Do you have, can you make enough products with your supply chain? Can you, mm-hmm. you know, That foundation is so important. And I would never stray a brand away from trying to get that reach and awareness, but before they take that next level of reach and awareness by investing in a big celebrity or by, you know, maybe trying to do something custom with a big TikTok influencer. Right. Are you guys prepared for that? Because Mm -hmm. if you're not, like you said, the engagement and the, the reaction will be, great up front, but in the long run, or even in the short run, it's not going to be so great. Yeah. So I think that foundation is something that brands
1: really need to hone in on before they're like, let's get
3: influencer marketing going, you know?
1: Right. Yeah. And so, okay. So the flip side is you were going to say on one hand, you have awareness, you know, and, um, uh, what was the second part of it? Reach. Mm -hmm. And then on the other side of it, you have depth, I guess.
3: I mean, if I I keep, I think I said this on a, I was talking to a colleague recently and I use quantitative versus qualitative. So I'm going to keep that theme going here. You know, we were talking about quantitative a little bit with reach views, how many people, you know, impressions, all of those KPIs like that. But what's really going to matter when starting out is, is more that the quality, the qualitative data, the, you know, does the consumer trust you? What's the engagement? Like, what's your sentiment like online? Do they, you know, do you have, I already said this, but do you have trust with your consumer and how are you going to get that? I think it's looking at what are consumers saying and are they engaging in a positive way? Are you solving a problem for them? Going back to the marketing basics and leaning into that qualitative data to kind of measure success of right. course reach and awareness again I would never ever ever stray a brand away from that being a goal of some sort. Right. But I think sometimes people want to make marketing and influencer marketing and content strategy a science when it's it's there's so much more to it because it has feelings and emotion and people attached right. to it.
1: And the other thing is I mean just I remember you know we the first viral thing that we had there was a lot of negative stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean when you have that many people, the bigger that you get, the more unfavorable you get. It it just you still have a lot of people that love you, but then there's a lot of the other stuff and the nonsense, right? And that's part of what makes it go viral. That people started fighting with themselves yes. on our post about nothing that had to do with chimichurri, um, and it it made me uncomfortable. Um, you know, and Ashley was like, no, this is, this is what it is. You know, it's okay. Um, but it's almost like, be careful what you wish for, you know, engagement for engagement's sake can sometimes be unpleasant and, you know, I guess there is a, there is a role for that. Um, but you know, as a young brand, you don't necessarily want people fighting, on your TikTok post. You just want people being like, yay, this looks so good. Thank you. Where can I get it? You know? You know the unfiltered opinions on TikTok get a little out of control. <laughs> and I'm like, what are they even talking about at this point? They were arguing about like making something from scratch or not. And they just all everyone just got really like, you know, jazzed up. Another way to, to think about this when we're we're talking about like going viral
3: and measuring KPIs and all these things. Think about you as a person, would you rather have a video you created, have a million views, but like you said, people arguing in the comments, you didn't really gain anything from it. Right. Or would you rather have five really great DMS from mm-hmm. people who are like, you made a difference or mm-hmm. this changed my life. You know, what holds more weight here, right? If we want to simplify it and look at it that way, mm-hmm. really, because consumers are people, when it comes to brands we're we're dealing with the same thing right like do you want a million views and random comments that aren't going to convert or aren't going to you know pe- get people excited about your brand or would you rather have like i said 5 10 dms where they're like this product changed the game for me in the kitchen and i right. never want to be without it you know well, which so means
1: more it's it's interesting and i'm going to give you the total honest answer I would love to say that, because we get those DMs every single day. Mm -hmm. We have people who love our product. And sometimes I just don't feel like that's enough. Yeah. And so, and I'm just being honest, right? No, I I totally get that. So as the founder, right, you know, the question is complicated because yes, in theory, I would rather people who are deeply loving this, who use it all the time, who put it in their shopping carts, who tell their friends, yes, yes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I need some sort, I need momentum to be able to open up doors and to be able to, you know, build it further. And it costs money either way. So I'd like both. (laughs)
3: <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think yeah. momentum is a great, a great word. Yeah. And I also think if we're being realistic here, I could, we could, I could get on a soapbox about the importance of a great DM, but ultimately we're here. We, we have to sell products. We have to run a business. Mm-hmm. You have to make money. I mean, right. that's as much as sometimes it can feel icky to like get that simple with things. Ultimately, how else is the brand going to survive or how else, right. You know what I mean? So I do think both should be considered the reach ways to scale ways to grow the awareness, all of these things. But I also just think paying attention to, like I said, the qualitative side of it is also really important to the growth. And when we get into influencer marketing, really important to that piece as well.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, for sure. And and that, and that, that is sort of the question. So if we're not Mm -hmm. measuring, if we're not measuring followers and we're not measuring impressions, what, what are some things that we can measure that show, aside from the comments and the DMs, mm-hmm. what can we measure on our own and also when we work with KPIs for creators, what are some of the things that really, that you look at that would make you decide to work with a content creator?
3: Yeah, I think there's kind of a, so where you have like your high level video views and impressions, like we talked about, and you have your lower funnel DMs and comments and things that we also talked about, I think there's a middle ground that's really great to look at, which engagement, I mean, I think and I'm going to get into algorithmy things here, but on, on on Instagram specifically, there are certain engagements like saving a video or sharing that video Mm -hmm. that help within the algorithm for the creator and potentially the brand. That's also part of it. So the more that people want to save and come back to this, and the more that people want to share this piece of content with Mm -hmm. someone they know, those there's still KPIs, they're just very yeah. specific KPIs to look at. Those are kind of two examples of of middle middle ground KPIs that are both are important for both ends. You know what I mean? And I think we'll also tell the brand and the creator like what's working and what's not. How are we going to keep going? And I think, you know, looking at engagement in that sense is really important. I also think there's tools you can use and things like that that kind of fall in this middle ground, which is like sentiment online. And I think in general getting the, the bulk of what people are saying or feeling about your brand on a higher scale, instead mm. of just like how many DMS did you get today? You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think there's also that where you can go across social and use tools and, and platforms and things like that to gain a sentiment On a larger scale to help as well. So I think those engagements, um, we can get really like time on site and average order value. There's a lot of those things that I think fall a little bit in the middle here when it comes to measuring success. It's not just super high level where it's like, how many impressions did we get? What's the CPM? It's not super lower funnel where it's like, did this person tell me they loved the product in a DM? It's like, let's look at the numbers of shares, saves. Um, comments, you know, and what's the sentiment of those comments? And does that extend that sentiment extend online and on a blog and, you know, things like that?
1: Right. And does it align? I mean, one of the things, you know, very early on, part of the challenge we had was we happen to be keto. We also happen to be vegan. We're also, you know, sustainable packaging. We're also very versatile. We also make dinner easy. And we just kind of didn't know, you kind of have to lean into one one primary message. You know, we didn't build this as like a keto brand, for instance, right? Or or like we didn't market specifically to vegans. In fact, we market a lot to, you know, meat and seafood folks. Mm -hmm. Um, But we did lean into it makes cooking easy, Um, partly because that was in our DNA and that was part of why we created them in the first place, but also because that was the overwhelming comment. You know, we also got the health folks and we also got the moms, but we really, what we really got was, you know, just across the board, this makes me feel like a winner in the kitchen. And the more that you can listen to those, I think the more it also helps you tailor your messaging. Cause you don't know what your messaging is going to be until people start actually really engaging with your product. I mean, hundred percent. Yeah.
3: And I think that's another piece that I was saying about sentiment on a broader scale of like what people are saying, what do they want? What problem is this solving? It's not just looking at those DMs. It's looking at what direction are we moving in to get people to buy this? You know what I mean? And also I don't want to discount things about life that we didn't say Like luck sometimes is great. Timing, um, Mm -hmm. relevance for what's going on in the world. Like I'm sure a lot of vitamins and supplement brands when the pandemic hit skyrocketed Mm -hmm. because what was going on, because people wanted to stay healthy. There's also those factors that we didn't even get into that also play a role in all of this.
1: Yeah. Well, it's so, I mean, we have a funny time because I think I've said this on the podcast too, but people ask me all the time, you know, well, you know, it seems like with everyone cooking at home during the pandemic, that must've been great for the brand. Mm -hmm. And the, yes, of course. That was a tailwind in a lot of ways, but the other piece that people seem to forget is no one was going into grocery stores. Yes. So that wasn't so good for the brand because right. you know, we ha- it was you know, it built the people that I think knew us and loved us before, they probably went from twice a week to, you know, three or four times a week using one of our sauces. But to reach new people, which e- no matter how deep and focused on retention you are, you need people entering that funnel all day, all mm-hmm. night. Um, that was really challenging. So we had like a very strong tailwind, but also a very strong headwind kind of at the same time. So we don't know exactly. And we're still trying to benchmark ourselves because even now is such a strange time with food prices and consumer behavior, and is there not going to be a recession or, you know, everyone's been waiting for this thing for a year and a half and doesn't seem like it's happening. Who the hell knows? You know?
3: Exactly. Exactly. And that's, there's all these factors where we can try to make this a science and say measure X, Y, Z and focus on this. But in reality, life comes into play a lot of the right. time. And and again, what's going on in the world, um, what's going on in your industry is supply chain of an issue. You know, there's, right. there's so many things here, but that's so interesting. Retail is tough though. I think in general, you had mentioned retail and people not going into, into stores as much. And th- that's an interesting topic because retail it's, especially since 2020, when we all mm-hmm. even more options of food delivery started to come down the pipeline Retail is a tough one to win, you know, to yeah. really, really get that shelf space and get people foot traffic and get mm-hmm. people in stores buying your products. So yeah. that's a whole different beast for sure.
1: No, I know. There's so many pieces to it. But, you know, I think of even like what you were saying about, are you ready for it? You know, this Keith Adia mm-hmm. thing. <laughs> like, I, I saw that. I, I mean, so for those of you who don't know about this phenomenon, there's an influencer on TikTok and he did a stitch, which by the way, I feel very cool that I, I think I I used the word correctly. Yeah. Thanks. Um, About a Chipotle, he kind of had a DIY Chipotle quesadilla and I guess it went pretty viral on TikTok Mm -hmm. and then people started just like demanding it at Chipotle and they couldn't make it. And the team was just like, everyone was confused and people were angry. And then there were these like, don't go to Chipotle unless they make the quesadilla. And it wasn't a thing. And so, and then of course, you know, a couple months later, they, they created a new quesadilla with this influencer called the quesadilla. And now, but they're Chipotle, and they had a couple months of like, I'm sure there were like people scrambling when oh, there yes. was like boycott Chipotle TikTok because they wouldn't, they didn't have this on their menu. It just wasn't even a thing. I mean, it's it it is a little bit careful what you wish for. And then similarly, you know, I have friends at a big coconut water company. And I guess there was like a viral moment. Oh my gosh. I know exactly what you're talking about. So did the, it was like. The berries and the coconut water. Yes, it was, it was like, like an ice cream. Tropical cereal. And yes. it was berries coconut with coconut beer. water. And people went bonanza. And they 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 had this crazy spike, but then it went back to normal. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you know, maybe they saw a little lift, but I don't know. It wasn't, it wasn't. And so you know you end up going out of stock in all these stores, and every, and then you start getting angry people who can't get their coconut water. And yes, you know it's intense, man. Um, it is
3: intense, and that, yeah. it's so funny. The power of TikTok is insane, but also the power of being canceled on TikTok is also
1: insane.
3: Right. Yeah. <laughs> so tr- when I remember when I mentioned risk at the beginning, I mean yeah. it is a risky platform in general. I, t- I mean I love it. It's entertaining as anything, but right. Um, I remember, oh my God, I can't believe you brought back the coconut, like nature uh-huh. cereal. I think they uh-huh. were calling it.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was a Wild. thing. So, okay, that speaks to, if you were, if you were making Lisa's brownie bites. Oh, I love brownies. Great. Um, and you were like, all right, here's my go-to-market strategy with retailers. Here's what my, you know, ops is going to look like. Here's my content strategy. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, here's how I would map out my channels. You know, I've heard a couple of different things. You know, we happen to sort of be spread across a bunch of them. And I think that's because of Ashley and she's just very good at sort mm-hmm. of taking one thing and making it work. It's funny on TikTok and it's a little bit more like stylized on Instagram and it's a little bit more educational on Pinterest and it's a little bit more this on, you know, YouTube, like we're good at, you know, stretching the content. Um, But, you know, I've also heard, like, don't try to be all things and, you know, focus on one and really build a deep following on one, which I think is hard. So I guess broader question is, how would you think about your channel strategy? Secondly, you know, how would you think about content in general? And then third, you know, would you start working with, uh, influencers and content creators, early on, or what? What would be the threshold where you would start thinking about it?
3: I oh, put put my brand hat on over here. Um, first of all, brownies, great choice, big great. dessert girl. Love it. Um, first and foremost, and I said this earlier, the product I would want to make sure it was amazing and the packaging was appealing. I'm big on that stuff. So all of that stuff we're gonna. Right. We're going to check those boxes really quick mm-hmm. and pretend it's 10 out of 10. It's amazing. You have the best brownie bite in the best perfect. package and you're ready to rock. I think the first step I would take when creating a content strategy or choosing channels to focus on would be to figure out who and who my target audience is and wait mm-hmm. where they mostly are. So if Brownie Bre- if Brownies were having a moment on TikTok, let's say, and mm-hmm. there was a lot of opportunity on that platform with recipe developers or um, I don't know, maybe it was like a maybe it's a trending after school snack and moms are buying it. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So it's like who is interested in my product? And where do they spend most of their time? That's Mm -hmm. where I'm starting. Yep. For me, like as a per like an individual, I think I know Instagram and TikTok better than the other platforms. So Mm -hmm. I think I'd have a little more fun on there. Right. But I do think it's important to have multiple touch points. So I would not suggest just one, but I would say that where's your target audience spending most of their time online? And that's where you, that's where I would suggest, or that's where Lisa's Brownie Bites would
1: start. Yeah. I love it. Lisa's Brownie Bites. And then in terms (laughs) of the content, you know, I have very good friends who have much bigger distribution than me, but the brand is a little elusive. People Mm -hmm. are a little unsure what the brand stands for. And my advice to them has been, you know, going back to that social listening, like what are people saying yep. about the brand and then lean into that. Cause it could be, it's authentic or it could be, it's more sustainable or it could be, it's quick and easy or, you know, there's so many things. So, but then counter to that almost like you can't go on TikTok with something that isn't slightly entertaining yeah. Right. And you can't be too, you know, teachy preachy, like you kind of have to be in the tone of voice for each channel.
3: A hundred percent.
1: Even if, you know, the target audience is coming to you because they're interested in better for you brownies. So I guess, you know, how, how, I mean, we're, I, it's almost the problem with retailers too. You know, the, the thing that we were talking about before is like, there's a couple of really interesting sort of macro trends. You know, one is that people are shopping a little more frequently, but they're, they have smaller baskets. So that's confusing after a couple of years of very large baskets. That mm-hmm. means that the retailers that were like bulk buying that had like massive numbers are now losing share. But then you also have this other trend where, like, there was an article on the dollar store last week. And, you know, Walmart, for instance, isn't a totally different consumer than Whole Foods anymore. There's a lot more overlap. People Mm -hmm. who are buying food and products for their houses. They buy certain things at Whole Foods and Sprouts and at their local, you know, natural gourmet store. And then they go right over to Costco and buy their bulk, whatever. And then they go to Walmart to get their whatever. And they go to Kroger to get their other thing. There isn't, the channels are just like much more bleeding into each other retail wise. But also I feel like you're not only on TikTok. You're not only on. You're going to all of these different channels for different experiences. So that's just hard for a brand to be everything to everyone. It's just so hard. Yeah,
3: and I don't. I, I don't think there's there's one answer. I, but I, you know, I think when you're starting a brand out and you have limited resources and can't hire an agency for tons of money every year, right? You you do have to hone in just for to be able to show up. Right. So I think it starts with the platform or platforms like I had mentioned where you feel that you'll reach the buyer or consumer of your Mm -hmm. of your product the most and then expand. And it is important to, as you mentioned, be be in the tone of voice of each platform And, and you hit the nail on the head. So your your social team must be you're on it because you know with pinterest being educational and tiktok being entertaining and instagram being a little bit more curated
0: mm-hmm. there's
3: there's all of these different ways to show up but when you are starting out i think it's it's important to to not spread yourself too thin right
1: okay so now going back to your day job so yes. you know what do you want the marketing teams that are listening to this to know about working with content creators? What do you think they misunderstand going into the relationships? What have you seen really work with content creators and brands? Um, and what are some innovative ways that brands are working with those creators?
3: Yeah, I, I, I don't know where to start with this one. I'm so like amped up to answer. Yeah, just just let it go. <laughs> Wait, just, of consciousness. Do, you want to, do you want to rant?
1: Or do you yes, <laughs> I want to rant. Okay. So I'll start off by saying
3: I was on the brand side and we just spent quite a bit of time talking about the brand side and brand strategy. And, and I've worked with agencies as well, and I've been in those shoes. And now that I am more on the talent side, representing the creators, it's a really interesting viewpoint being on the other side. Mm -hmm. I want to say this, and I think this is going to sound cliche, but I, I really, and I, I know there's so many layers when a brand is working with a creator, there's so many layers of review and the exec team has served it at all the things, but I, I want brands and agencies to remember that these are, they, these are people, they're all very different. They have very different strengths and take, take a extra 25 minute phone call or zoom call or Google meet call or whatever to get to know those strengths a little bit before mm-hmm. you strap them into something. Mm-hmm. And I think that goes for the creator and, and talent management side as well. Getting to know what the brand is expecting and seeing if it works, just take, take that extra book, book the call, do mm-hmm. it. I'm just going to, I'm just going to put it out there. Are we on the same page or not? And mm-hmm. I, I, I don't, you know what I mean? And I, it doesn't yeah. take that long to figure that out. So I would, I would just give that PSA out in general. Love it. Um And again, there's people behind these. they're not machines. They're not robots. I think a lot of the time in the marketing industry, when you have exec teams to report to, when you have ROI goals every month, when you have X, Y, Z, you tend to want to make this into a science and make this Mm -hmm. quantifying this perfectly. There is, that doesn't exist. And I really wish, you know, there are best practices. There are good CPMs to look at. There are good sales goals to have. And clicks that you want to reach that that's all great. But I, I I think trying to make this a perfect science is, is a huge mistake. Mm -hmm. And I, I wish brands and agencies and people's talking about it on podcasts would would stop trying to do that Mm -hmm. because ultimately there is no exact science when it comes to people.
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's good
3: yeah. So, I mean, I obviously got on a soapbox. No, I
1: like that. There's no exact science when it comes to people. I'm writing that down.
3: Oh, amazing. Um, Love that. Look at that little snippet. I know that was
1: good. (laughs) I wish I had better editing skills or we would like do a little snippet of that on LinkedIn, but I don't alas. So there (laughs) it is. All right. And so, I mean, I think the next piece is working best with these creators. That Mm -hmm. is that, that is it. Like your understanding that they're human. Mm-hmm. Um, what have you seen work? What, what, what does success look like to you? You know, is it, is it simply online engagement Are you know, like, I, you know, I think success
3: with, with a brand partnership, when it's with a creator slash influencer and brand, I think what I view as success is watching the influencer's audience fall in love with the brand like the influencer is. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of ways we can look at that. You can look at sales. Of course, you can look at DMs, comments, engagements, all the things we talked about earlier in this podcast, Mm -hmm. but that take, and I said it a million times that takes time. And I think Mm -hmm. those longer term relationships and seeing the community behind the influencer creator start to back the brand as well Right, is a beautiful thing. And something, you know, there's some really unique ways. And I think this is a question you asked as well, you know, to get creative with brand partnerships. Yes. Social media is, is going to be part of it for a long time coming. That's not mm-hmm. going to change branded posts, content online. Like it's going to be a big piece of it, but doing those collaborations. Maybe you're doing a custom product. Mm-hmm. Maybe you are doing a limited edition something. Maybe you are, maybe the brand is supporting an organization that the creator feels super strongly about our community that they want to be recognized and bringing in the brand into that as well. Like there are ways to, to get really creative and have fun with this, that will, will also help meet the brand's goals. And will make the consumer fall in love with the brand like the creator is. Mm. So it's, it's taking that extra step. This takes a lot of time, uh, and getting creative because ultimately the people
1: that you're working with on the influencer and creator side, they are creatives. Right. And so, you know, backing into, I think what I'm hearing you say is like having someone do a post Mm -hmm. is probably not the best use of your dollar. Probably not. But building a relationship with them so that there's at least some continuity Mm -hmm. and they seem like they're genuinely into it, Mm -hmm. A, it feels more real, they trust them more, and it gives the time that it needs for the people on their audience to fall in love with your brand as well.
3: Yes. And also on the brand side, something that we implemented at my last job when I was brand side that I think is really important is... Mm -hmm supporting your brand part, your creator partners, influencer partners in other ways. Mm-hmm. Are they celebrating their birthday and you want to send them something for their birthday party? You want to send them some, some product for the recipes they're developing? Like, you know what I mean? Like yeah, being it's not as transactional. Yes. And, yeah. and that's also, I think a buzzword in this community, but Hitting, supporting them in other ways. Maybe, maybe there's, there's a budget where you can donate to an organization that means a lot to them, or even Mm -hmm. to a food pantry where you have extra product that you're going to throw away. Anyway, Mm -hmm. those pieces to the puzzle, don't overlook those because again, I know that we're all, we all have to make money. We all have to pay the bills. We all have to pay our employees. We have to drive sales. Totally get that. But those little pieces are what's going to really have. Consumers sticking with the brand, yeah, for the
1: long haul. I mean, drop the mic. Amazing. Drop that, the mic. Yeah, that's it. I mean, I'm like, all right. <laughs> you got well, me on
3: my creator. I my have. Brand. I have. We well,
1: are. I wanted. I wanted people to hear it because I think you know. I I see what goes into it, and those of us who have not edited a you know, 14 second video have no idea how hard it is to do and how much time it takes. Um, so I feel for everyone. And, and I think in general, this whole business is built on relationships from your suppliers and co-packer to your retail buyers, to, to the people that are out there, you know, selling you and marketing you. And, you know, it's too hard of a business to not have good relationships at this point, you know, and maybe right. I'm just too old. No, um,
3: you are not. We yeah. gotta go back to the basics. Here. Yes.
1: Um, all right, Lisa. I can't thank you enough. That was just super, super packed with all sorts of fun stuff. And I don't think I've any I've ever had someone who represents talent on the show. So episode two hundred four. Woo woo! Um, thank you so much for coming on. It was great.
3: Talking. Thank you for having me, and thank you for also you and your team for bringing these conversations to people and also for supporting a lot of creators out there in the right way. Uh So I want to say thank you for that and um, for giving me a chance to talk about stuff that I'm really excited about.
1: Yeah. Well, thanks. Um, Armin, thank you for being our own personal creative, (laughs) I guess in a way engineering these things is not easy and um, I appreciate all that you do as well as Heritage Radio. And um, listeners, thank you. Um, Everyone has been just very jazzed about the last couple of episodes, and I've gotten some very funny, nice reviews after I posted on LinkedIn that I got a bad review from some guy. Um, So thanks, everyone, for coming to my defense, and I will be back next week with another episode of In the Sauce.